welcome to A for No, B for Yes. Hey everybody, welcome to A for No, B for Yes. My name is Anthony. I'm Ryan Fonzie. And I'm Cameron Hagee. In today's episode, we are going to cover the Dodongo's Cavern and Goron City. All right, so we left off the episode where we were talking to the guard at the front gate in Kakariko Village. He was kind of being a little bit of a jerk, not letting us go by, until we gave him the letter that Princess Zelda had written out for us. Uh, The guy was kind of laughing at us and uh, still kind of makes a short joke to us, kind of like, you're a hero, really? And, And he just opens the gate and lets us go kind of like is this kid for real he's really going to death mountain yeah so the the note that we had is like please let link through he's on a mission to save hyrule um he thinks it's a joke (laughs) but he goes along with it anyway um also wants a mask from the happy mask shop and uh recommends that we get ourselves a a nice sturdy metal shield because there's fire up on that mountain and that fire will burn our wooden shield to a crisp so we need a metal one just a, a note, he actually recommends you go to the shop back in Castletown to get the shield, and he tells you to let them know that he sent you. And if you do that, you actually get a discount on the shield, and you can save some rupees. But if you want the ultimate discount on the shield, there's one hidden in the graveyard. I was literally just going to say that. <laughs> uh, Yeah, we didn't mention that last episode, but uh, there's actually a free shield, so you can forget all the discount stuff if you really want. We forgot to talk about that. Yeah, it's funny how the game gives you most of the items for free that you can buy if you if you don't know that. <laughs> and uh, I went to grab that mask like as soon as I was able to. So I'm gonna go into a little thing about the happy mask salesman. So he's the happy mask salesman, and he, his speech is very much so happy. He talks about everybody who's gonna get this mask is gonna be happy. You yourself, if you sell all of my masks, you will be fulfilled, and you will be truly happy. And I'm like, bro, you don't know what's gonna make Link happy because he's selling your mask. He's just selling you a pile. But I did notice that he has a couple masks on the sides, and I don't know if it's like this in your guys' game, but on the 3DS game, it is definitely like this, where on both sides of the counter, kind of more towards the door you come into, there are masks lined up on the tables. And two of those masks stood out to me as being very not happy. Mm -hmm. One of them is a Gibdo mask, which is from Majora's Mask, and there's a lot of negative things attached to that, but we won't really get into that. The other mask is just a straight-up sad human being. There there are Gibdos in this game. Oh, I haven't got there. I didn't remember. Yeah, they they show up later. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're more prevalent in Majora's Mask. I think they're they're more of a story Mm -hmm. being in Majora's Mask. In this one, they're just unexplicable, like re-dead clones yeah like stronger re-deads yeah but yeah so that, that gibdo mask has negative connotation with it if you played majora's mask and there's also just a very sad looking human face like just a plain old just sad face and then on the right side which is the side that has both the gibdo and the sad person face if you look behind the mirror you can see a little bit of red on one And I'm pretty sure that's a Mario mask because there is a a Mario mask in Majora's mask when he's walking around and he's got the giant backpack on. So I'm pretty sure that is the Mario mask that's like hidden and you can only see a little bit of it. Nice. Yeah. No, I mean, I know that the the happy mask shop in this game is, is really just about business. 
Like um, none of the masks give you a whole lot. I mean, there, there are two that I think give abilities. One makes it so that the stall children of Hyrule Field don't show up. And then another one lets you talk to Sheikah Stones and get tips. Um, otherwise, everyone just kind of every NPC that you talk to while wearing a mask will normally change their dialogue. Um, but nothing that's too crazy, just more like, why are you wearing that mask or why are you trying to scare me? I thought one of them did something with Keese, like Keese don't attack you or something like that. Maybe. And I thought there was a bunny hood that raised your movement speed, or is that only Majora's Mask? I think that's just Majora's Mask. I think the bunny hood just makes it so the stall children don't show up in this one. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's the stone mask. Uh, I think that one actually makes it so Keese don't attack you. The mm. stone mask. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. I don't know if the stone mask is in this one. But maybe. Do we want to talk about the the four characters that you can sell masks to, or is that not? I mean, we can do it all right now if you if you really wanted to. Um, it is available to you at this part of the game. I don't know any of it, so it's up to you. Gotcha. Uh, I'll, I'll breeze through it because again, it doesn't do a whole lot for Link other than other than fill his wallet, really. Um, so the first mask that you get is the Keaton mask and it goes to this guard who says it's for his son. Um, but he ends up wearing it the whole rest of the game. You give it to him, um, and he immediately puts it on and acts like he doesn't know what it is, but clearly like he's the actual fan, not as, not as kid. Um, which is kind of funny. The second one is the skull mask. And this one you can take back to the skull children in the lost woods and one of them will actually buy it for you, from you, but they'll pay half as much as it's worth, so you actually lose out on that. Link has to make up the difference from his own pocket. Um, so then the next one, I forget the name of it, but it's something along the lines of Scary Mask or Spooky Mask or something like that. Yeah, Spooky Mask. Um, and you can take it to the kid in the graveyard who wants to be just like Dompe, who is upset that his own face isn't as... Uh, heart pounding or as or as manly as Dompe's. So um, you give that to him and he'll take it. It's actually a mask. It's actually a re-dead mask. Um, if you wear the mask and talk to Dompe, um, which I did just by chance, I thought maybe he would want it. He he kind of says like, do you know what that mask is of? And and you're still wearing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, he, like he literally calls you out for wearing a re-dead mask. It's kind of funny. But yeah, you sell it to the kid and he's all about it. He's like, oh yeah, this would make me even more scary than Dompe. It's great. And then the last one that you can sell is the bunny hood. And this one, there's actually a running man that later in the game you can challenge to a race. But when you're a kid, you, you really can't. Um, but once you get the mask, you go out into Hyrule Field and this NPC will will be there when otherwise he wouldn't. You have to, I believe you actually have to have the mask on your person for him to be out in the field and he will run constantly. I think he, he doesn't stop unless it's nighttime out. Um, and that's part of why the mask lets you go without there being stall children is because you're supposed to chase this man down at night. Um, you do, and he'll, he'll buy it from you for infinite money. Um, so it kind of goes like the, the soldier pays the right price. The skull kid pays half price. The kid in the graveyard pays the whole price, and it's like one of the more expensive masks, so it's surprising that he can do that. Um, and then the guy out in the field will just fill your wallet. So you really don't want to do it right now. You don't want to. You don't want to do that until you have a, a relatively empty giant's wallet to work with, because he'll fill it right up to five hundred. But other than that, I mean, that's how, that's how you get all the masks. After that, you get the mask of truth, which is like the real reward that lets you talk to the 
to the uh, gossip stones. Um, the, the you get a three three other masks. There's like a Gerudo mask, a Goron mask, and a Zora mask, but um, none of them do anything really. So uh, they're just fun to have. Yeah, and I did confirm it just now. So it's the skull mask. It keeps Keese from attacking you. If you're someone like me and you struggle to deal with Keese, no matter how good you are at this game, definitely keep it for a little bit, at least for the at least for Dodongo's Cavern. Yeah, that seems pretty useful, actually. Yeah, I, I just struggle with them. I don't know why. No, I get it, especially ice ones. Ice ones always get me. Yeah. Yeah, I actually almost died to a fire Keese in Dodongo's Cavern. <laughs> yeah, this is an enemy that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, actually. Yeah. You haven't seen them yet. Cool, cool. So if, if there's nothing else we want to talk about with the city or anything like that, because I know there's a few other mini games, but we can get to those another time. We can start our way up Death Mountain. So here we find our first enemy. And as we get into Death Mountain, you hear the epic Death Mountain music coming up. And right on that slope, we see the first enemy on Death Mountain called Tektites. And Tektites are little one-eyed mites, or you can probably call them spiders. But yeah, they are pretty easy to kill and if you actually have the hylian shield they're almost useless because you just shield duck like a turtle and they can't hurt you at all um but something i did find on the internet with tektites if you actually google tektites uh zelda is not the first thing that comes up these things this thing's a real name it's a gravel sized meteor deposit from space <laughs> that has crashed onto the earth with a uh exploding meteor and uh, yeah, that those are called tektites. And so it makes me wonder, like, why did they name this spider-like thing? I mean, this thing's been in every Zelda game thus far. So this is not a new enemy. And uh, are, yeah. are they usually around the mountains where there are falling rocks? Well, they're, yeah, they're usually like in abandoned places that meteors would generally fall without, you know, people picking them up. So when they're found, they're usually mountains, lakes, which that's kind of coincidentally where they actually spawn in the game. But it also makes me think... Maybe they're trying to go with like a celestial route with these monsters. Like maybe they're not from Hyrule. Oh yeah, my my thought was maybe the mountain tosses a rock down and it smashes, and like it's kind of a play on that. Like it's not really a meteor; it's a rock from the volcano, but you know, it causes the same thing. Causes a I don't know. Maybe there's a spider in it, and that's the tektite or something. I don't know. It's a it's all guesswork now. Yeah, yeah. It was just weird. That it's like that's the name they went with was a. Uh... You know, generally Nintendo, I feel like they they like to name things not really conventionally. They like to have a meaning behind it. So that's what I always look for in the names. But yeah, other than that, they're a pretty easy monster. And the color changes based on the environment. So here we got orangish red ones for the mountain, the fire, power, which is a theme we have here. Uh, there's blue ones, which you might not have seen yet if you haven't gone to Lake Hylia. Right. And they're sort of like pond skaters. That's them in a nutshell. There's not much to them. Yeah, they jump. They look like they should do more than jump, but they just jump. Yeah. Cool, cool. So on the way up the mountain, uh, the first major thing we'll see is a giant cracked up rock um, with a sign in front of it and our first Goron that we meet. You talk to him, he says, hey, I'm a Goron. <laughs> so literally the first thing he says is explains, like, I'm one of the rock eating uh, Gorons that live on this mountain. Uh, and he, he kind of shares with you that this... This uh, cave is sealed up, that it was a food supply, um, and that if you want more Goron gossip, you can head up to the city. So if you make your way that way, um, there's another Goron that is 
uh, kind of standing. I don't. I think he's next to another sign. He's a little ways away from it, but um, he'll tell you that there's a fairy fountain up on top of the mountain um, that she's said to be very beautiful, and asks you if you want to see her. And then there's another Goron who is rolling down the mountain and explodes when he comes to a stop. Um, and there is nothing you can do to shield against this Goron. You really needed to stand out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tried the first time <laughs> to see what would happen and Link gets sent flying. I think he can actually knock you off the mountain too if you're standing too close to the edge. Um, and it'll start you back at Kakariko. <laughs> it happened to me. So It happened to me. I want to add that um, that first Goron that's sitting outside of the cave with a giant rock... The first time you talk to him and no other time, he tells you that a bunch of Dodongos showed up one day and that's why they can't get into the cave. And he also tells you that a man from the desert, if we haven't heard that one before, was who put the rock there in the first place and completely closed it up. Yeah, he said he uses magic to seal the entrance. Yeah, so we know that the same person that was messing around with the forest is also messing around with the mountain. And the thing with uh, these Gorons is there's sort of... A selfish race because they eat rocks so we're on a giant mountain with nothing but rocks right and they're starving they're you know they're basically dying because this rock is blocking their food supply but they could eat any rock right well there are top sirloin rocks in this cave the best of the best and they don't want to eat no just just no regular rock right they want the best of the best rocks so it's like, yeah. you think as a race, you guys could just, you know, I don't know, maybe survive and just eat the regular rocks for a little bit till Link comes in? <laughs> yeah. Nah, they just completely starve to death crying that they can't get their gourmet rocks. Right. Yeah. They do They do say that the most nutritious and delicious rocks are in the cavern, um, but that seems like ancient history. So I don't know if it's actually been a long time or if they're all being dramatic. I get the feeling that these are these are these are drama, <laughs> drama filled creatures here. I, I think they're pretty drama filled. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing about Gorons is that they're a pretty simple creature. Like they they're clearly strong. Like they're half made of rock, um, and they're like they're all beastly. They roll around. I mean, the fir- one of the first ones you meet like comes to an explosion as he crashes to the bottom of the mountain. Um, if you actually wait till he's done with that, like you can talk to him. Um, and his line, and I want to read this just because it's preposterous, but I love it. He says, I wish I could roll down the mountain like a rock with a bomb flower and boom. If I could do that with a bomb flower, I could become a real man. Like that's his whole line. <laughs> so like it's a rite of passage, I guess, for these Gorons to roll down the mountain with a bomb and explode at the end. Um, and that's how they, I guess, like now you're, now you're a Goron man for doing that. <laughs> and that, I thought that's what he did because he explodes at the end of his role, but I guess not because he still wishes he could do it. So I don't know. I think there's a bomb flower actually there. Like, I think he runs into a bomb flower and it's, it doesn't respond. But if you actually go there a different way, you can actually see the bomb flower there. Or at least like the petals of where one once was. Gotcha. So I guess my point is like these guys, like they're no joke when it comes to strength. And I mean, this, this plays right back into our, um, like Din, right? Like the goddess of power. She's, she's themed red. This whole mountain's kind of shaded red. Um, the, I mean, the Goron stone that we're after, um, the, the sacred gem that they have is red. Um, they're, they're very much a powerful species. Um, they are not so much a wise or courageous species. And part of that is this whole issue with the 
with the best rocks being from the cavern and not being willing to eat another rock. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the predicament they're in. They're all kind of hungry. They're all kind of depressed. If you could call it a predicament. And they're all hungry and depressed because they refuse to eat regular rocks. So yeah, so that's that's kind of the setting. That's kind of the stage setting. I think the first the first Goron you talk to when you actually enter Goron City gives you gives you most of that story on his own if you didn't talk to anybody else. Yeah, so I think that's all the Gorons on the outside of the city, correct? Well, there's the one on the edge telling you about the bomb flowers and that they like only grow on mountains, I think, mm. but he's not really that important right now. They only grow in the shade. Oh yeah, they're only supposed to grow where the sun doesn't reach much, which is like why they say Dodongo's cavern's full of them, but a couple rare ones do sprout on the outside and he's standing next to a couple of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, we head into the city. And we come to the best music, or if not, one of the best songs in the game, arguably. Yeah, it is pretty great. <laughs> um, they they have like this this cool tribal cave going on, and the the music kind of matches it. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look in the center, they have a big pot in the center that's got like three Goron faces on it, um, and directly above that, there's three ropes leading into like a floating platform. Um, and if you go out there, there's a Goron sitting there who kind of asks you if you're coming out to eat the red rock that was normally there. Um, he says it, it looks delicious, but, uh, you know, like he, he thought maybe he could just give it a little taste. Clearly he was going to come and eat that rock, but yes. um, luckily the big boss, uh, took, took it away before he, anybody could come and do that. So, um, so it's not there. Yeah. Multiple, multiple of the Gorons talk about how they wish they could eat that rock. <laughs> and, um, it's cool because like, if, if you read what some of the other Gorons share, um, it's that was the original holding place of the red rock because the red rock, like uh, I guess was the power source for the lights in, in uh, Goron city. Um, and all the lights in Goron city are torches. So this is like the, the sacred gem of fire. And I guess it kept the torches lit <laughs> inside the cavern, which is kind of cool. Um, so it, it was like, that's kind of like the plug-in spot for it. And it's taken away now because obviously like you don't have your other rocks to eat. It's pretty much your second best option. <laughs> so, um, so it's hidden away. I mean, also Ganondorf was clearly kind of after it. So, um, it was good to hide it either way. Ganondorf's like, man, that rock's fire. <laughs> Getting that. Oh man. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So you do a little bit of exploring. There's some other Goron. Oh, the one Goron I want, I did want to bring up as well. Um, there's one that says we don't get many visitors way up here. Asks where you're from. Um, and then says the forest, what's a forest trees and plants. Now I'm even more confused. So like he has too many responses about things that he wouldn't know about, um, for me to, uh, let this go like link, link and talk. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the idea, like we, we always make jokes about how Link, like all he can do is kind of yell as he rolls and jumps and stuff. But um, he does get asked questions and people do respond as if he responded. Um, I really think that the game like only does this when the response would be so obvious or like anybody would respond the same way because, you know, they really want you to project yourself onto him. Um so for the most part, you never hear his voice. You never hear him actually say anything, but that's not because he can't talk. It's because, you know, they, they want you to feel like you are Link. So, you know, if they take his voice away, it's the same reason that, um, Keanu Reeves is such a good action movie 
actor it's because he doesn't exp- he doesn't like make a lot of facial expressions <laughs> so you like you kind of feel like you can put your own expressions on him it's almost like the it's almost like the old dora the explorer trope where she asks you a question and then like you kind of fill in your response like no one says anything and then she responds to what you might have said you know yeah same idea there i hate that i just used dora as an example but uh same idea, <laughs> same idea. you are part of it you're part of this game you're part of this show um and it's effective but yeah i just i just want to make that point of link lincoln talk there's just too much there for me to deny it yeah so you get to the bottom of this um you've heard from a couple gorons that big brother has locked himself up in his room um saying i'll wait for the royal family's messenger which because you have zelda's lullaby makes that you so you go you find this carpet that's plush under your feet um (laughs) feels real I, i guess it feels plush under your feet it's it's a it's a soft carpet for guests, um, and it's got Triforces all over it. So at least I believe it's Triforces. It could have been something else, but um, you go up to it, you you play Zelda's Lullaby, and the door opens to get into Darunia's room. Um, and Darunia uh, is is Jack to the max. He's he's a he's a bowler. He's a he's a rock man, um, literally. Big Daddy Darunia, <laughs> and he's mad. And he's mad. You talk to him, and the first thing he's like, he's like "Who are you?" Um, he's like, "I know the you know he knows the royal family song, but he's mad because you're just a kid." Um, one line that that kind of stuck out to me is, uh, "Has Darunia, the big boss of the Gorons, really lost so much status to be treated like this by his sworn brother, the king?" Um, which is funny because not a lot of people get the title sworn brother with the Gorons. They're they're pretty difficult to get through to. So the fact that the king has... You got to do something pretty grand. Yeah. For the king to have that relationship with the Gorons, like, I I mean, honestly, Darunia could have just been impressed that he was a king, but I don't think that's the case. I think he must have done something um, to get that title. And it never really explains that, which is kind of upsetting because like what that would imply, he's waiting for the royal family's messenger. Um, what that would imply is that he reached out for help, that he sent somebody to the royal family, or he expected that they would know what kind of situation they were in as a neighboring kingdom, I guess you could call it. And uh, he hasn't received any actual help from them. Um, you're the first You're the first person that's come by with, with uh, the royal family's mark, and he is, uh, he is not what he wanted. <laughs> Link is not what Darunia wanted, mm-hmm. um, which is upsetting. I mean, I know that, that Ganondorf is currently at the kingdom, so that might have something to do with it. Like, he might be acting like everything's fine with the Gorons or, you know... Or maybe the king just thinks they're being dramatic again because that seems to be how they are. Or maybe like the king just can't, you know, doesn't have time or can't go for help because they're currently preoccupied with the whole Ganondorf situation. So they can't actually go out to help the Gorons send anybody like all the guards are yeah. stuck at the castle, you know, helping there. It's possible. I don't want to, I don't want to like dunk on the king too hard, but I know that um, Zelda also had like her prophetic dream. One of the one of the lines that she had when she told us about it was that, you know, she she actually told her dad about it and he just straight up didn't believe her. So he warned her about Ganondorf and he was like, oh, no, Ganondorf's fine. So like he he seems to be like keeping up appearances without actually dealing with any of Hyrule's problems or threats. Like, I don't think he actually vetted Ganondorf at all. He's just like, oh, yes, this king of the of the the bandit group out in the desert, like he's definitely allied with us. This is totally cool. Um, 
and the Gorons, yeah, they're fine. Makes sense. Yeah, he, he cares about our interests. Yeah. So so the king's really not, I mean, I'm not super impressed with it. You don't ever see him. You don't ever talk to him. So you don't really know what's going on in his life. Um, but you know that he's not helping. No, he's he's pretty much of a failure of a king as far as I can tell. So he's he's angry. He tells you to, like, Darunia's angry. He tells you to get out of his place. Um, you know, he's he's... He's in a bad mood. He kind of lists off all the problems that you've been hearing since you arrived. Ancient creatures have infested the cavern, uh, which are the Dodongos. It's funny. They named it Dodongos Cavern after these ancient creatures. Um, never expected them to come back, I guess. And now they're an infestation. Um, and they've had a poor harvest of their special crop, which is the bomb flowers. Um, and then there's starvation and hunger because of the rock shortage, which I think we've talk to the ground like it isn't real there is no rock shortage it's just a tasty rock shortage yeah um and then he ends saying but this is a goron problem we don't need any help from strangers so this is kind of the difference between a sworn brother and a stranger right like no help from you get out of here so you leave um there's a couple things you can do in the city mostly involves lighting torches (laughs) um Mm -hmm. yeah did either you guys take the time to uh play the basketball game (laughs) that's in this city no, I didn't. Yeah, I did. And uh, one of the Gorons actually tells you the secret we went over in the Deku tree, if you want to call it a secret, where you can put your Deku stick away while it's on fire and you get to save the stick and reuse it again. He actually straight up tells you that. Yeah. Um, and then asks you to relight the torches for him. When you relight all of the torches that aren't like the super thick ones, the ones that are more twiggy and sticky... Uh, it starts the big vase in the middle of the room that Fonzie was talking about with the Gorons on it, and it starts spinning in, in a circle. And if you get a bomb into it three times, you get a red rupee worth 20, you get a, a blue rupee worth 5, and you get a heart piece. Yeah, which is great, getting the heart piece. Um, it is a game of chance. Um, every time you throw a bomb in, it can land on a different face. If it's the angry face, you don't get anything. I, I think I remember this thing speeding up, but maybe I'm just imagining that. It does speed up, yeah. Um, if you get the the neutral face, I think you get a couple of rupees, um, but not not much. And then you get the happy face, you get like the jackpot reward. Yeah, I think one of the Gorons even says, when all the torches are lit on this bottom floor, the place is, gets really lively or something like that. And that would be a later line, but it it's like it's kind of funny because if you you know you light all the torches on the bottom floor and the, the that's what starts the vase, right? Yeah, it's a lot easier to win this if you wait until you have the bomb bag and you can just throw bombs at it at will. Mm-hmm. But I definitely just tried to grab a bomb flower and took me took me some time to get the timing right and um, to get the right uh, face to show up on the Goron. Like I remember sinking maybe uh, 15 of these things before I got the happy face and I was really upset about that. Oh, wow. I got it on my third and I didn't even realize what I was looking for. I just thought, oh, I had to do it three times to get it. I still haven't done it yet. I got the rupees and then was like, all right, off to the next place. (laughs) But uh, simultaneously, there's also a big unit of a Goron rolling around on, I believe, the second level. Yeah. And uh, if you stop him anywhere on that track where he rolls around on that second level, he'll just kind of get up and be like, hey, I'm rolling over here. What are you doing? Yeah. But... You actually stop him over by the sign, which is on the back side. It's sort of like in a little divot of a cave. Right. Uh, you actually stop him over there. I think you probably need the bomb bag because I don't think you can actually get a bomb over there. You do. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you do. 
I tried to get a bomb all the way over there and I could not. Yeah. Yeah, because he, it, I think that's the, the trick of it to make sure you have the bomb bag. Um, because that's what he does. He'll upgrade your bomb bag for you. Um, but you, I, he won't do that until you actually have a bomb bag to upgrade. Um, it's the same thing with, uh, the Bombachu bowling. Cause if you do that, you can get another bomb bag upgrade. Um, problem being, uh, you can't actually do Bombachu bowling. I don't think until you've gotten the bomb bag, the first one. So, uh, that's not open yet. Um, that's back in Hyrule Castle Town though. Um, so, yeah, so there's a the big guy rolling around, and right now he's just the the rock and roller <laughs> Goron. The unit. And uh, yeah, he he doesn't help you at all right now, but he is a bit of a challenge if you want to try to hit him. Um, still can't get into the cavern. We still the big boss doesn't want our help. The big boss. Um, so we talk to a couple of the Gorons again, um, and one of them will actually say that uh, I think this it's even might be the one right outside his room. Says it, you know, he's in, he's in a bad mood. Like he'll, he'll just get angry with you. It's hard to talk to him about anything right now. But, um, but I do know a secret. He loves music and he used to always listen to the music of the forest. Um, conveniently, there is an entryway to the forest in this city. And this is where, like, I, I normally wait to go to the Lost Woods until I have this path. Um, because it makes it really convenient and there's a lot to do there. Um, and it takes you right into the Lost Woods from Goron City. Um, so yeah, I know, I know in our first episode, we talked a bit about the Lost Woods already. Um, but this is, uh, we go on our way to find this music, uh, for the big boss. Yeah. This is where it's actually mandatory to go into the forest, the Lost Forest. Yeah. Like if you haven't done it already, you have to go now. (laughs) Um, the story won't go forward without it. So we go to the forest. I think, do we find Kabora Gabora here first or is he like later? Yes. I do believe he's waiting at the first entrance to the woods. I do believe. I think we also each have... It, once you see the woods, uh, there are three entrances. or No, I'm sorry. Four entrances on each side, mostly. Sometimes three, sometimes four, depending on where you're at. And they're all covered in black. And I think we each have a way to get through this. A different way to get through this. Sort of a maze, a labyrinth, if you can call it. And uh, yeah. so does anyone want to say what their way is first, like their secret technique, I guess you can say? Um, I mean, I guess I'll just bust right through that question a little bit. Um, if you listen to Kabora Gabora, <laughs> he actually, he tells you how to do it. <laughs> um, uh, when you first see him, you come out of Goron City and what he tells you is that there's a way through here to go to the Sacred Forest Meadow. Um, and he asks you if you hear the music that's currently playing, which is just the over, like all of Lost Woods. It's all the same music. It's all Saria song. Um, And he says, you should listen out for this music also. So at least this time, this works. Future In future times, it doesn't. You have to remember the pattern if you want to go back. Um, But to get to the Sacred Forest Meadow the first time, um, if you stand in front of any of the the doorways, um, the, the song will get louder. If you stand in front of ones that aren't the right way, the music will actually cut out. Also, in the N64 version, which we're playing the port of, if you stand close enough to a doorway, it'll actually, like, you can just see through it. Like, the the darkness that's in every, like, path you can choose actually starts to, like, fade in <laughs> when you get close to it. Um, and the wrong path typically won't until the very last one. So, that's how that's how I got through it, by listening to the music. 
So I got through actually, I think a tad bit easier than that. Um, if you stand like anywhere in the middle of the room, all the wrong doors are white. They're shrouded in white. And the correct door is just black. <laughs> so it's pretty visible too. Like if you look at the outside of the door, it's it's like visibly like a white glare is coming through the door. It's really hard to miss it. And then the actual right way is just a straight black door, like a straight black shadow. So you can just walk through there. It took me like probably like 20 seconds. Just doot, 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 going through it. Really? Like you don't have to, yeah. I feel like that's not intentional. <laughs> like I don't think that that's what they wanted to happen. Yeah, that's probably not. It's sort of like a light at the end of the tunnel look. Like if you like, you know, like a train tunnel, like the light at the end of the tunnel. So it sort of looks like that. And then the right door is just black. And it's so easy to just like look for that and just go through. And I don't know, I never noticed it before until this run. And I don't know if it's on the 3DS version that you're playing, Cam. But yeah, it's definitely noticeable on the original. I didn't check for that. And I actually didn't use either of the tricks that you guys talked about. I just went the old-fashioned way you you just guess and tested my my man yeah it was trial trial and error the whole time <laughs> i remembered the first like four from way back in the day because i still remember that somehow and then after that i was just like let's try this way oh nope let's try this way because I, I also wanted to see if there were any secrets because there are some areas you can load into that aren't the forest meadow yeah. and i wanted to check out every single individual entrance yeah because using the methods that me and Fonz talked about uh you probably won't find the different areas uh, you can go to that aren't the sacred forest meadow yeah right i mean the the stand close to the door and see if the the room lights up on the other side that method will will get you to all the other extra places mm -hmm. um but i don't know if that works on the 3ds either like i don't know if they fix that um but i will say whenever there's an entrance to another area like when you see the zora's domain entrance or the goron city entrance you just go left i know that much hmm. so uh, I know we actually talked about some of those extra places already um, in previous episodes. So there's the one with the business scrubs and the forest stage. Uh, turns out that forest stage is in fact for happy masks. Um, two of the masks will get you an upgraded seed bag and an upgraded, I guess, Deku stick pouch or whatever they call it that you use to hold them. Um, and the other masks will either get you, I guess, applause or it gets you shot at or... You know, everyone will just all the all the Deku shrubs will just kind of stare at you. Um, also, there are Deku shrubs outside of the Deku tree, so uh, a bit I said about that in episode one wasn't quite accurate. But yeah, I will say that they're the most reasonable of the scrubs, I guess. Um, I mean, the business scrubs are there for business, but the Deku scrubs tend to be forest spirit type beings that I guess are, are more interactive, I should say. But yeah. So there's a couple of those there. There's if you go back to the very start of the woods, um, there's a target practice, like where you can use your your slingshot, you shoot the center of the target three times, and they give you an upgraded seed pouch. And then there's a bunch of skull children. Well, there's three of them. Two of them are together. The other one's alone. I'm not exactly sure the pathing uh, to get to them, but yeah, the skull children. They're sort of. If you were to describe in a book a forest kid and the appearance of like a kid who lives in the forest that's like a scarecrow kid, like this is the exact appearance that they would. They're orange. They're full of uh, like straw with like tribal looks to them. And I think they got like weird elf shoes and they're sort of always either playing an instrument or 
dancing. Yeah, they're they're very musical. And they also make like a weird laugh noise when you come up to them too, I think. Yeah. Or is that just They all they all play music. Um so it's it's really right at the start of the woods if you turn left or right. Um and not not at the start if you come from Goron City, the start if you were to come from Kokiri Forest or if you get lost. It'll start you back in this room. And the and the first the first room you're in, if you go left, there's a single skull kid and he wants to hear you play Saria song. This is the skull kid that you can sell the the mask to, uh, the skull mask if you have it. If you play the song, he'll give you a heart piece. If you and this one you can actually lock onto as well and talk to Navi, and she makes the comment, "Is this what happens to kids who get lost in the forest?" Basically implying that this is the first, uh, this is like the first creature I guess we've come across that is something that was lost in the lost woods. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned before, the Lost Woods are known for taking people, and this is like this is what happens to kids. Um, they make that distinction um, later on that something else happens to adults. Um, if you actually continue through this room, there's a there's a business scrub who will sell you another Deku stick upgrade. So all of the Deku stick and Deku seed upgrades are in this forest. And if at that starting room that we talked about, if you go right, that's where the slingshot target practices. And if you go down a ladder you can do a Simon Says game with two other Skull Kids. Um, and that's ultimately for a heart piece. Um, so all the Skull Kids are musical. They all like music. Um, and they all just kind of spend their days dancing around in the woods. Yeah, there's not much else to them, to be honest. Hmm, doesn't sound so bad. What? I said, doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get lost in the evil lost woods, and I mean, you just end up playing music and dancing around for all of eternity. It could be worse. I I guess. <laughs> um. So yeah. So if you do any of the tricks or you do the guess and test, then you make your way through. Are there any other big rooms of interest that you guys want to talk about other than the business scrub room? No, I was just going to talk about the Simon Says game. I was going to say how much of a hard time I had with it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get through to the sacred forest meadow that Kabora Kabora told you about. Um, this is the place where you go through where you fight a wolfos and then you go through a maze of. Oh. Uh, mad scrubs who who don't who don't stop to talk to you who don't interact with you they just want to fight you until you start fighting them and then they run away. So this is the distinction that I think we made in the first episode where mm -hmm. the scrubs in the tree uh, they they were friendly they talked to you they you know they had a friendly demeanor I mean yeah they the brothers were did attack you at first until you got correct guessed their correct order yeah but these scrubs. Not being in the Deku tree are mad scrubs. They're they're just, you know, they attack you on sight. They don't talk to you, nothing. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so you make your way through this maze of scrubs, and um, you get to the end, which is the actual, like, the heart of the Sacred Forest Meadow, um, which later we'll find out is the, the actual entrance to the forest temple as well. Um, and here, in this moment, uh, Saria is there, and she's playing music. Um, on her, on the fairy ocarina that she still has. Um, so if you go up to her, I think it actually triggers a cutscene where she says that she's been waiting for you. Um, that this is the sacred forest meadow. It's her secret place. This place will be very important for both of us someday. That's what she feels. Um, and that if you play uh, an ocarina there, you can, uh, you can talk to the spirits in the forest. Um, so then she teaches you Saria's song, which is a, uh, I mean, aside from being a, a Goron club banger, um, <laughs> also 
<laughs> also allows you to communicate with Saria at any point. Um, and sometimes that's useful to do. Sometimes she'll give you hints as to what you should be working towards, what your next goal should be. Um, and sometimes it, it's just kind of like, you keep at it. <laughs> so, so yeah, varying degrees of usefulness and you never really know when to play it. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a cool song. Nonetheless, it gets you a couple, it gets you a heart piece. At least I know that much. Um, and, uh, it's your first, if you didn't get the sun song, which we, we did. Um, otherwise it's your first magical song on the ocarina, I believe, aside from, I mean, Zelda's lullaby hasn't been really shown to be magical yet. It's just kind of a, a password so far. So yeah, it's our first quote unquote magical song. Yep. And once we have that song, we can guess what the, the banger that Darunia wants to listen to might be. So then we skedaddle our way back onto Goron City unless there was something we missed in Lost Woods. No, I think we covered everything. I don't I don't think we missed anything. Yeah. And you come out of here and uh, on your way back, Kabor Kabora shows up again and is like, Have you learned sorry the guitar you teach you the song? Oh great, it's magical bunch of songs will be you should memorize them and kind of flies off so it's like all right thanks there is a great fairy fountain actually uh before you get to saria in the sort of maze in the sacred forest meadow and if you actually have a bottle you can capture a fairy in there uh for what's coming next right basically are those ones called great fairy fountains i thought great fairy fountains had a great fairy and just fairy fountains had like a swar- swarm of fairies well then it's just a fairy yeah it's just a regular fairy fountain then but yeah so you get one with a bottle and uh it's useful for what's coming up and the first enemy in the dungeon that we're about to go into after uh darunia yeah eventually you get a song um, one of the magical songs basically transports you to that to that sacred forest meadow where saria is um and so I always use that to kind of farm fairies later on in the game. Um, just teleport right next to a fairy fountain, basically. And then it's a it's a real quick trip in. So um, it's very convenient, I'll say. So yeah, we can we can head back to Goron City. If you play any other song that's not Saria's song to Darunia, uh, he'll kind of start to dance and then be like, nah, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really the kind of tune I'm looking for. I'm not feeling it. It's not the banger he wanted. Yeah, but if you play Saria's song, you get what's probably one of the best cutscenes in the game. Um, he goes off. He, he breaks it down. He, uh, I mean, he becomes the hype man for the song <laughs> and, and just goes wild in, in this room. Um, I love some of the some of the camera angles they decided to like pop in there. He has his own Saria song music video, and it's it's great. Um, and what's what's really nice is you can do it as many times as you want, whenever you want. So if you're ever feeling down in this game, just go back to Darunia and play him Saria's song, and you can watch it all over again. <laughs> it's nice. Um, so this kind of this kind of helps ease his anger. Um, this was just what he needed to to kind of lift his spirits back up. And so he dis- he decides that he's going to give you a chance to prove yourself. He says, you know, show that you're a man. And go go get rid of these. Um, go like go take care of Dodongo's cavern, basically. Like defeat all the Dodongos. Um, I don't know if he tells you outright to open it back up, but he also does give you the Goron bracelet. Um, he specifically mentions that he's not giving it to you in return for anything, but he just wants to give it to you anyway. Um, so so yeah, you get you get the ability to pick the special crop. Um which is funny that they call it that. Like they don't ever just say bomb flowers. They always are like the Goron special crop. It's silly because they don't eat it. They don't really 
use it for anything. Like they just know it's there and they try to make sure it keeps growing. I, I think the biggest clue is that it's a mining flower. Um, so they probably just use it to dig deeper into the cavern and to, to get their rocks really. So it's more of a tool than a crop, but yeah, that's how they all refer to it. True. And then, uh, at this point, now that we have the bracelets and we can lift the special crop, we can do the things that we were talking about before, like with the pot that's spinning and stopping the guy on the second floor who is rolling around the unit, the absolute unit. <laughs> but in order to continue where we're actually going with this, we go back outside of the city to the guy who is standing uh, to the right of the entrance to the city that I talked about earlier next to a couple of the rare flowers that grow outside of uh, dark areas like caves. And we could pick one of those flowers up and we could give it a little yeet right all the way down the whole like, mountain right to where the giant rock is that we have to get through. And it's kind of funny that you brought up that they call it a mining flower and they don't think about using it themselves to get rid of that rock. Yeah, I think that goes back to them not being a very wise group. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, yep, yeah, I think you blow it up. I think if you even talk to that Goran right there, he's like, oh, man. Why didn't we think of that? Or like, I, we could have just done that this whole time. Like he, yeah. somebody makes that comment. Yeah, he, he does say that. It's either the one right outside of the cave itself or the one next to the flower that you threw or the bomb that you threw. But yeah, one of them's like, oh, oh, we should have done that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you think that like these Gorons wouldn't really have an issue with the Dongos for the most part because they're, I mean, from what I can tell, if they're eating rocks out of this cavern, then they're heat resistant. And the only thing Dodongos really have is is their fire breath, I guess. Um, I mean, they do explode if you kill them, so maybe maybe don't <laughs> maybe don't kill them if you're worried about that. Um, but the fire breath, I don't think, would be an issue for for a Goron. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's kind of my original thoughts. And they're they're pretty slow too, so I don't think their their big jaws would be too much of a a hassle. Yeah. So so you open it up, you go inside. Um, this is the Dongo's cavern. Um, and it has a giant, uh, what appears to be a dinosaur of some kind, uh, skull up at the front of the room and it's rib cage kind of lining the sides. Um, but I guess what might even be more striking at this point is that, uh, there's lava all around the ground and we are, uh, in our first fire themed dungeon, um, power themed, you might say, uh, based on what we know about anything that is red and fire um, in this game. So yeah, so this this one, I mean, power is not a super deep subject. I really don't have a lot to share about it, but um, what I do know is that in this in this dungeon is our first um, use of a powerful item. I should say, like that's strictly about that. Like a bomb, it's it's literally just an object of power. You place it somewhere, it sends forces in all directions and uh, makes things happen. So it's a little bit uncontrolled, a little bit untamed. Like it's not, it's not very well directed or aimed, but it's, it's uh, that rhymed way too well. And um, it's, it's just there. It's power. This is our first, this is Link's first experience with power. Yeah. And this whole dungeon is absolutely riddled with powerful enemies. Uh, I think the first enemies in the game actually that might give you trouble and you know i didn't have trouble in this game yet up until this point i mean we have fire keys which are absolutely annoying and <laughs> i wish the game didn't have them 
And then there's little baby Dodongos, which can swarm you and alone don't stand much of a chance. And then we have the Nightmare Fuel standing in the middle of the first room that we actually see with the giant dinosaur head, and it's a Beemos. <laughs> and yeah, it's Nightmare Fuel. Um, it's got a nose, weird teeth that are rotting, and a giant eyeball. Yeah. And sort of reminds me of, well, I guess previously, the Guardians in Breath of the Wild. If you guys have played that game first, and this is your first, uh, the play style is kind of similar with shooting its eyeball. But yeah, it's scary. It is scary. Uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of looks like a wood stove or something, right? Like one of those like round. Yeah, like the olden ones. Like yeah. cast iron, olden wood stove, except instead of having a, a hearth, like an actual gate on the front for you to have your, your cozy fire in, it has, um, it just has a face. It has like the bottom half of a face. It's got, yeah, like the nose and mouth. Um, and then its eye is like up on the top of the chimney almost, um, and it spins around and it shoots lasers at you. So yeah, I would agree. Nightmare fuel. It's definitely like, I mean, the eye only looks one direction, so you can kind of sneak around them as they, as they turn, but they are not fun to look at and they're not fun to be around. No, no, they're not. And this whole dungeon is just riddled with things that you do not want to be around or fight. Like we, we have Armos, which are moving statues, which are strong and explode so, yeah, it's just to continue with the power theme with this whole area, this whole dungeon is just filled with powerful enemies for the first time that we've seen. Yeah, just about everything except for the Keys and the Lizalfos, which we'll get to, um, explode when you kill them. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, nothing is safe. Like, you think normally you, you defeat an enemy and that's it, you're done. No, you defeat enemies in this place and they're going to explode. Like, you can't just stand around them after you're done. Yeah, not only are they going to explode, but in order to even beat them, you have to make them go boom. Like, Bemos are invincible. Armos are invincible. The only way that you can hurt them is with bombs. Again, laying credence to the whole power thing without the, like, actual... Boom, boom. What would you call it? The the physical manifestation of power that Link is getting right now being the bombs. Without that, you can't touch these things. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have any other tools that'll work. Side note, don't bring the Deku shield, the wooden shield, into this place. Make sure you guys get the Hylian shield before this because you're going to uh, lose your shield if you uh, bring that in there. Yeah, actually, up until this point, you can have the other shield, but right when you set foot into this place, that's where your wooden shield is in danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can buy more wooden shields in this place, but that's foolish. Don't do that. <laughs> it's true, you can. <laughs> Unless you really love it. Just don't. Yeah, I mean, if you really don't want the Hylian shield, um, just put your Deku shield away. <laughs> um, go th go through it with the sword and no shield. I mean, you might as well at that point because a lot of the things that you got to fight, I mean, uh, some of them you can block with a shield effectively, but um, a lot of them, like, you're initiating, you're throwing bombs at. And, I mean, yeah, I would, I would recommend getting the Hylian shield, <laughs> honestly. that You really should have it by the time you get here. Um, that's just my opinion. No, I would agree. And the only enemy that I ended up even needing to block at all were Lizalfos. And I'm pretty sure that Lizalfos mm -hmm. don't even, like, they don't burn your shield. So I think I would have been fine going through it with a Deku shield outside of getting hit by two fire keys, which even if you're not blocking, the fire keys will immediately burn your shield up if they hit you. Yeah. So I guess set pieces, right? Because that's kind of how we want to take on dungeons other than the, the enemies. I mean, yeah, uh, I would consider the, the Zolfos to be a pretty major one. 
And I was going to talk about that room too. Did you guys actually take a look around that room? The first room? It is beautiful. No, no, I'm sorry. The room with the Lizalfos. No. You guys didn't? I mean, I, I've seen the room, but I can't say I looked around it specifically. So the room is actually connected. Um, both mini boss Lizalfos fights that you encounter, the rooms are both connected. One is above the other, one is above a lava waterfall. And I just thought it was really cool that they were both connected. It's sort of like their home in the dungeon. And it's just a huge room. And I didn't really pay attention that they were connected with a lava waterfall. There's like platforms. And even the beginning room that you step foot into is super gorgeous. So they really put in work with this uh, this dungeon here and the way it looked. Yeah. Yeah, I think the connection's pretty cool. When you fight the second one and then you can look down into the first one, mm-hmm. Severina, I think yeah. that's that's a pretty cool moment. Um, I accidentally fell down into it at <laughs> one point trying to get those hearts that they put out there. That wasn't fun because that cost me a good clip of time just circling back through the whole dungeon again. Um, but it's a cool fight too. I mean, I don't think we've actually talked about what the Lizalfos are yet, have we? They sort of look like the lizards in... Donkey Kong 64, which actually came out before this. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's like almost the same character model. And they just sort of have a little dagger dirk that they carry around with you. Or with them, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're like, they're bipedal. They're like lizard knights, right? They hop around and mm-hmm. and they just like try to do overhead slashes at you with their little swords. Um, so yeah, nothing nothing major. They make cool meep meep sounds when they're fighting you. <laughs> Um, they usually come at you one at a time, uh, which is very convenient. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. They sort of move similar to the Wolfos, actually. Uh, it plays style with the bait and switch where you block and then attack. Yeah. That's how you play them. Y- yeah. You can also, they can be frozen with Deku Nuts too, which makes it real easy <laughs> mm. um, to fight them. Because you don't have to block anything. You can just freeze them and slash them and freeze them and slash them. Bringing the advanced tactics out here. <laughs> it's also really hard to beat one like without fighting the other one. Because as soon as you land enough hits on one, that one is like programmed to do nothing but run the heck away from you until you damage the other one enough to make that one run away instead. Yeah. Yeah, they take turns. They tag team. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool effect. Um, cause you always kind of feel like you're in danger of the other one. If you don't know that they're not going to come in and do anything. (laughs) Um, like they're, they really are strict about their turns. (laughs) True. Let's see here. There's a, there's a couple secret rooms in this dungeon. Uh, there's a few Skultulas, golden Skultulas you can get. And There are Dodongos, which we haven't talked about yet, which are not the babies. Um, These ones, you have to hit their tail and get around them. Their fire breath, they breathe, which is actually pretty pretty big radius, too. So be careful of that. Don't bring the Deku Shield again. Recap on that. And they explode even bigger radius than the little baby ones do. And when you hit their tail... When you hit their tail, they do a spin attack immediately following like their when they take damage. And if you're too close to them, that'll hurt you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I forgot about that. They in their in their rage, they, they find another attack. And aside from uh, they go full Beyblade. Most of the puzzles in this dungeon and enemies, even the puzzles themselves require bombs to solve the puzzle. If not bombs, uh, the slingshot, there's a couple of those. So yeah, overall, very power-related again with even the puzzles this time. Yeah. 
everything's kind of a power play. <laughs> that's uh that's kind of the, the theme of this thing. I, I actually really like the, the puzzle. If you guys remember the one where you put the bomb in the middle of the other bomb flowers, there's like 10 bomb flowers in like a line and then it blows up and the stairs fall. It like triggers the stair explosion. Oh, the yeah, the massive staircase. It's a, yeah, big chain explosion. That was one of my favorite puzzles. Yeah. It's nice for sure. That's this is another really good representation of power right there. Mm-hmm. To to access the all important second floor, you have to, to make like twenty plus explosions and knock the stairs out of the sky, kind of basically. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty big power move. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything else in this dungeon that uh, you guys wanted to cover before we get to the end of the dungeon? Yeah, there is. There is Whoa. the room that I hate <laughs> with a passion so much. Every time I hear the shishing, shishing, I'm like, <laughs> this room, oh, I hate the shishing. In it. You got to get up. Oh you got to go gosh. through the little bit go of the. Off, it, man. It, you got to run through these small, little, narrow passageways around each corner. There's a new shishing, shishing, which is Going. a four sided <laughs> blade of doom Let them know. that is set. Yeah. Yeah, we're letting them know this thing is crazy. It hit me like eight times, and I was like, "Nah, I hate this." Yeah. And then not only that, but once you finally get far enough into that room where you can like break open the wall, you have to grab a bomb flower and almost perfectly time it to explode a second after you oh throw it while it's still gosh. midair to blow open the wall to the next room. This room, I hate it. Can't stand it. I see this room, I'm like, let's just get it over with. Sounds like this room is your personal trigger. <laughs> can we can we skip this one? Give me one skip, please. One skip. I'll skip this room every time. The water temple and all those <laughs> later on, all this stuff, just this room right now. Get it out of here. <laughs> yeah, those blade traps are so dumb. So you just hate spike traps, man. You know, they actually classify blade traps as an enemy. They do. And it's not that like you can destroy <sighs> them. I don't, no. I mean, I don't you think. Can't. I've never found no. a way. But no, um, you can't do anything to them. And, and the game is so. Uh, I don't even know what the what the word for it is. You get into the room, and I think Navi interrupts you, and she's like, oh, make sure you're Z-targeting so you can see around corners because you never know what might be there. And I'm like, I know what's there, and it's cheap. <laughs> it cheats. Like, you, you take a step out, and it just runs right at you and cuts you. And it's like, it is not – it's not okay. There's nothing okay about it. Those things – yeah, I didn't want to play Peeksaboo with him, so I just ran around the corner, and every corner I ran around, my guy's like, Ugh. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I just take the damage. There's no point, I feel like, in trying to actually avoid them all the time. I'm just like, find a way that I think is tight and has very few of them overall, and just, just run. Yeah. Um, hope you don't take too much before you get to the end. I, I don't remember how much damage they do, but I don't think it's a lot. It's like a quarter heart or maybe half a heart per hit. Yeah, it's more just stressful, though dealing with all that yeah they're what made kids want to use the game shark codes on the <laughs> 64 like that room is what made kids want to use game shark <laughs> uh, okay yeah i mean i don't know how the game shark would help you with that but yes i agree oh you cheat you run through it gotcha game shark game shark did make you run faster back then i don't want to get into all that but i had i had a, a action replay and i it it had some serious codes for this game um but yeah anyway um the only other thing i would say is the uh the entryway towards the boss um there i mean you drop bombs into the eyes of the giant skull at the top of the room um they light up red when the eyes glow red right um i always fall into the second one like the first one drop a bomb down in fine blows up eye turns red great jump across the little gap that you drop the bomb through um, go to drop a bomb into the other one. And somehow I always managed to slip through the hole 
and Link falls directly into the eye. Oh. And so you're just standing in the eye cavity. And I'm like, all right, fine. And I just- I never knew that. Grab my bomb and just like set it down in the eye and then take a step outside. <laughs> Let it blow up <laughs> and it works. Opens the eye. We're all good. <laughs> so- I did the opposite and I put the bomb down on the bridge in front of me instead of dropping it into the eye and blew myself up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sounds like a good day. Nice. Is that the only careful one here? I guess. I don't know. I thought I was being careful, but you know, you fall and it's like, well, I guess this is my life now. I mean, it all works out in the end. All right. Well, we walk through that mouth that we just opened up, right? And we get to the infernal dinosaur, King Dodongo. Yeah. There's a couple other rooms, but yep. Infernal dinosaur. Yeah. There's like a little block puzzle right before it, but it's unimportant. Nah. You don't need to know about that. Oh, good. So this big boy. And we walk into the square room. No, I was going to say, this big boy. Yeah, yeah, go off, I go remember off. <laughs> used to bother me so much when I played this game previously. Like, I, for some reason, this dungeon is my kryptonite. Like, I can go off on dungeons in the spirit temple and the shadow temple. I'm fine. This dungeon as a kid, I don't know why it was my kryptonite. I It took me a while to beat this guy. And I think it might have been because I had the Deku shield. I don't know. But I came into this with the Hylian shield. And I found the easiest way to beat this guy is just to crouch like a turtle. And he can't do anything to you at all. The Hylian shield blocks all incoming damage during his rolls. And yeah. knowing that, like, <laughs> he just rolled right on by me, turned around, and then tried to breathe his fire breath at me. The trick to beating this guy is when he opens his mouth... You want to actually throw a bomb in there. He like swallows it. It's like, hmm, this tastes funny. And then boom, go in for the damage, do some jump strikes, you know, attack him when he's in that vulnerable state. Yeah. I think you can only hit him once and then he immediately stands back up. Oh, is it once? Yeah. Yeah. He only takes one hit. Mm, okay. Well, yeah, get that jump strike in then. And uh, you only have to do it three times. Just do repeat the process. And the Hylian shield technique with the turtle, I don't, I'm just saying, I don't know if it's like an actual tactic for this guy, but like it was the easiest way I thought I thought to beat him is the turtle tech. Yeah. If you, if you stand, there's a little incline that goes right before you get to the lava in the room. Yep. That's what I did. If you stand right on that incline, he'll roll right past you. Mm um yep and i think even the fire misses you if you're standing there you're basically like in a safe zone if you're standing there um but yeah he's he's a lot more intimidating than like by looks than he is by his actual actions his like you said like his role you can just you can just crouch and be done with it like it doesn't do anything um it is funny to see how many times he hits your shield as he goes by (laughs) i feel like a lot of the damage in these games is like is programmed just to like give like just hit a bunch of tiny times and like if you get hit once link gets sent flying and that's how you don't get hit more than once or something like that i don't i don't know but yeah it, it does exactly what you just described mm-hmm. it's it's fun to watch yeah so the attack would have a hurt box and then every second that the attack is still going or every frame it probably is that the attack is still going that it's touching link it'll hit him or it'll ting your shield if you're blocking right so about 20 times a second I was going to say, also, if you guys run out of bombs, don't fret, don't don't panic, because there are bomb flowers. There are special crops in this room for you to use against him. So just don't panic if you run out. Right. I don't even think I saw them. Yeah. They're in the corners of the room. Yeah, they're they're around. So um, so you beat this guy, and he, he tries to roll one last time, ends up rolling into the lava. In one of the most brutal deaths. 
Right? And then the lava solidifies with his head still sticking out of it. But, you know, he's dead. It's not like he's trapped there alive. Like, he's he's done. Um, leaves behind his heart piece and you and you make your way out. And when you get out, uh, you, you know, you, you get teleported out to the front of the of the dungeon like like you always do um and then darunia comes flying in from above because i I guess he came from the city and he decided to take the shortcut um kind of smashes right next to you and uh congratulates you on your win um says it must have been an epic or it'll make an epic story and kind of he literally beats his chest like like a silverback (laughs) um because you know he's he's that kind of guy he's just He's just like Mr. Muscle, right? So, yeah. I mean, he he just restates all this trouble must have been caused by that Gerudo thief Ganondorf. Um, he said, give me the spiritual stone. Only then will I open the cave for you. Uh, but you, you risked your life um, to help us out. So, I'm like, he, he basically gives you the spiritual stone as a, as a thank you. Um, I mean, he told you beforehand that if you were able to clear out all the problems that the Gorons were having that he would give you anything, including the spiritual stone. But like, um, yeah, he actually does. And when he gives it to you, he, he basically says like, now you're, you're one of our sworn brothers, right? Um, a couple other Gorons come down and he's like, let's give our sworn brother, like, let's give our new brother a big Goron hug. And Link kind of screams and runs away <laughs> at the thought of what a Goron hug yes. would feel like. So yeah, pretty good stuff. Um, so after this, I mean, you can go back to the city you can do some of the other stuff that would be a lot easier with a bomb bag. Um, you can go up to the fairy fountain, which is a, a recommended thing, I would say. That's um, how you get your magical spin attack. It's like Link's special move. Not that you need that for anything in this game, but it is convenient in a couple places. Yeah, what'd you guys end up doing? You do have to sit through a speech with uh, K. Porige Bora when you do go up there, though. But actually, I first thing I did with the bomb bag was... Uh, blow up the unit of Agoron rolling around. But the second thing that I did <laughs> was I remember the rock on my way to the courtyard in Zelda's Zelda's uh, castle. So I actually went up that little path through the town and I remember the rock there. I blew up that rock. There's another fairy fountain there, guys. And that one gives you a magical power called Din's Fire. The power one. Yeah. And and that one there there actually is a hard stop later in the game. I'm pretty sure if you don't have yeah, it, yeah, you need it. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's important. It's important to get at some point. Um, I I usually get it right away. I actually go up the mountain, get the spin attack, um, ride Gabora Gabora back down the mountain because he'll do that. The best cutscene almost too. He lands you right right on top of Impa's house actually. Um, so you can try to get that heart piece from the cow if you if you fall right onto like the little patio there. Um, I always don't, I always overshoot it and fall into the cuckoo pen. And then, and then I, I curse Gabor Gabor for dropping me in a place that I know I can't handle. She just put me right on the patio. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I usually have to circle back once you get another item later in the game that'll let you get up there without him. Um, cause you could, I'm pretty sure climb the mountain again for another ride, but I don't have the patience for that. Um, nah. yeah. And then, um, then I go right over to to the other fairy fountain. It's like my very next course of action is like, all right, second fairy fountain, here we go. So I usually have those two right in a row in my gameplay uh, whenever I play the game. Uh, after I beat Dodongo, the only thing I really did was go also blow up the unit to get my big bomb bag. <laughs> that's that's pretty much all I've done since I beat it. But there is, I know we're past it now, but there's something, a small distinction I want to make between the death of the first two bosses 
in that when you beat Goma, and Goma is referred to as a curse that was placed on the Deku tree by Ganondorf, mm-hmm. the entire entirety of Goma burns up into nothingness when you defeat her. But this Goron actually remains for, I mean, I don't really know how long, but indefinitely, I guess, and his his corpse will always be sticking out of that pit of lava that's now hardened. So it, yeah, Ganondorf didn't create this Dodongo like he created Goma as a curse. I don't know if he even had a hand in putting the Dodongos there. All we really know is that he sealed it off. So uh, how we were talking before, uh, you know, we we said he, uh, they were ancient dinosaur that isn't around anymore. And we were kind of talking on the topic about is Ganondorf a necromancer? Does he bring things back from the dead? Because, you know, like we said, these things aren't, weren't around. You know, they just was, was a recent development. Yeah. They, they're, I mean, they're, consi- they're called ancient creatures a couple times. Um, and I think even, I mean, what was the name of the, <laughs> the full name of the, the Dodongo boss? The Infernal Dinosaur. Infernal Dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, there's a couple of hints that they're that they're old. I mean, I, I almost wonder if like Dodongo's cavern has the most nutritious and delicious rocks because they're actually eating fossils of these things. Because um, it seems like they're they're I mean they're an ancient creature. They're something that is known to have been around at one point, um, but isn't supposed to be here now. And they all appeared one day. So it it definitely seems like this is another one of Ganondorf's powers. Um, but like between this and the stall children and the curse, I don't know. I mean, if you want to try to trib- contribute like the Gibdos and the Reddeads to him, I mean, that would be another example. Um, it seems like there are a lot of things that should be dead that just aren't. And a lot of that has to do with, um, the direction of Ganondorf. Yeah. And either he's a necromancer shaman or maybe he, maybe these things were around deep in the earth and maybe he stirred them up. And, you know, got them riled up. And that's why they're back, you know. Maybe, like, there's... Like, he placed a fraction of the essence of the Triforce of Power within them to bring them life again, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have that yet. But he he, he gets it at some point. <laughs> he placed a fraction of something in it. Oh, I thought he did. No, he doesn't He doesn't get the Triforce until everybody does, and that's that's later in the game. So he's OP. I always thought the only yeah. reason he was able to do all the stuff he did was because he already had the Triforce of Power, but he's able to just throw curses on millennia-old trees, just like... Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, he's a shaman, necromancer, druid thing. It's a kind of a, a, good, a good lead into one of the things I did want to talk about um, for this episode. Um, Ganondorf has has some serious game, man. He's, he is the, the king of evil, king of thieves, and he knows what he's doing. I guess like... When I think about it, it you know I, I you know, we always try to talk about how each each place has their own like has their color has their uh, attribute right, um, but even beyond that, I think Ganondorf is he's a strategist, um, like with the Deku Tree right Deku Tree. I mean he if you want to get into it, I mean Deku Tree actually talks about himself having power but not enough. Um, I mean I think that his real he's he's a mad old tree, so he's wise right so. Um, I don't know if, if you could really speak to his courage, but you should be able to um, because that's his color scheme. Um, Kokiri Forest is kind of a weird, a weird place where you the color scheme doesn't work the way it should um, because it's all green. But 
the the courage there comes elsewhere. Um, and I think that that's between Link and Saria. Um, they're the two courageous characters of that area. And the reason I say that is because Saria is, um, I mean, she goes to the Sacred Forest Meadow, which means that she would have had to have passed through all the scrubs to get there. Um, and the Wolfos, really. Like, she either she ran through, snuck through, whatever, but she goes there regularly, um, even though it's kind of riddled with, with creatures. Um, and besides that, outside of her house is a bunch of overgrown green plants. Um, and I, you know, that's kind of a, a weird, I'm kind of taking this out of order right now, but, um, but the Deku tree is like this, this, you know, he's positioned by himself most of the time. Um, he is this, you know, character of providence of the forest. Um, you know, he, he's a guardian over the Kokiri, but Ganondorf isn't interested in the Kokiri. He doesn't care about them. He, he knows that the spiritual stone is out here and that it's more than likely with the tree. Um, so he takes it to the tree mano y mano, right? Like he goes up to the tree. He's like, Hey, um, basically give me the stone. Tree says, no, he's like, all right, well then go ahead and die. <laughs> like I'll come back Not for just it. Like, right. You know, he doesn't just set the tree on fire. He doesn't kill the tree. You know, he, he makes him suffer. Oh yeah. No, he, he makes the tree suffer slowly. He does a lot of leveraging, um, by means of, <laughs> of, of like torture and death, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a strategy with the tree. It's like I'm gonna curse you. Um, give me the stone. I'll lift the curse. If not, you're just gonna die. Like, and that's that's the whole deal. It almost seems like this man. You know, I just it just occurred to me now, but this man doesn't necessarily go straight into killing as a means of getting what he wants. Right. Like with the Gorons, so they're powerful, right? He wants to take them out of the picture, so eventually the Gorons can't stop him. What does he do? He stops them from being able to eat. He knows that they like those rocks, so he tries to slowly make them weaker <clears throat> by not getting the most nutritious rocks. Same with the tree. So it's like he's yeah playing mind games with the people of Hyrule. Yeah, and I, I think there's some reasons for that. Like I think part of his strategy is, you know, if I just straight up kill this tree, I mean, who knows where that rock is actually hidden. Like I just know that he would be the one to have it because this is his forest. At least he knows where it is, you know. Um so either he's going to give it to me or I'm going to have to search for it. I don't want to search for it. I just want it. Um, and I think that's why part of why he curses the tree so that there's some time for that rather than just outright killing him. Um, so then, yeah. So then you get the kingdom, um, which we've known as we've kind of called out for being self-absorbed, um, for kind of keeping up appearances, uh, for being kind of vain, being blissful you know, straight out, like he, he just goes there and plays politics. Like he's there and he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to swear my allegiance to the King. Um, and that's kind of setting up for, like, he knows that the, the Triforce itself is hidden in their temple, right? Like he, he needs to stay close to that, make sure nobody else gets it, make sure that like, if that door opens that he's right there. So he's like, he's playing the nice guy to the King. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Like we're definitely allies. Um, when really his whole purpose for being there, he's like, he's getting on good terms with the king, right? Like that's his, that's his strategy there is to just like present himself as not being the king of evil. Like he's, he's a friend, right? Like he's there to, to, to help somehow, but that's not his real goal at all. Um, because I don't think he sees the king as a threat. The king doesn't have any of the gems. Um, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to be here so that when the time comes, when the time is right, um, it'll be that much easier for me to take over. Cause I'll already have all the ends I need. Um, with the Gorons, he, he put, he, it's a siege, right? Like that's it. It's siege tactics. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're a powerful race. He, I mean, he's a powerful guy clearly, but like, 
but they also have their own power, which I think is why he doesn't just take them on head to head. Like he's like, no, like that's, that's foolish. Why would I do that when I can just cut out their food supply? Um, and he knows that they're stubborn, like they won't eat if they don't have the best thing. Um, and it's messed up because like normally with a siege, right? Like you think of a siege and it's like, um, a big walled city, uh, you know, they just close all their gates and they're like, oh man, like we're not going to fight you. We're going to, we're going to close up, shut up shop. You can't get in here. You can't kill us, whatever. So what do you do? You cut off their food supply and that way they starve from the inside out. It's almost like, uh, he used ancient, uh, Japanese tactics. If you read into like any ancient Japanese tactics of war, two of the main tactics they would use to deteriorate the enemy was poison the water supply and poison the food supply. And that's basically what he did with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not even, I mean, poisoning is one thing. I mean, he just straight up cut it off, but yeah. What's weird to me is that the, the way he cut it out, like with a, like I was talking about the walled cities, like if you cut off food supply to a walled city, you just gotta like, you gotta cover the the entrances and exits, right? Like you just gotta cover the gates and pretty much no one can get in or out to, to get food in or out. Um, with the Gorons, they don't actually have a walled city. I mean, they they live inside of a mountain, but um, but his way of cutting off their food supply was just to take away their their first option, like their favorite food, um, which is messed up because what that would imp- imply is that the walls that like the the thing that's keeping them from like getting in or out is just their own stubbornness. Like he knows, like okay, these people, they're I mean, literally rock headed, right? <laughs> like they're not <laughs> they're not gonna give up their favorite thing, so. Um, I'm just going to cut that off and that's going to be a siege. Like that's enough to, to mess him up. Um, so he's a smart guy. Like he knows each person's weakness. Like he knows that the King is like just trying to save face right now. It's just playing the game. He's playing the long game. He, I mean, he knows what the Deku tree would have responded to. I mean, he can't, I mean, he's kind of helpless that he can't move anyway, but like just the way, the way he approaches each thing is different. Um, I mean, I guess the, the the point I was making about the whole Coke Reed Village thing, like, yeah, it's it's weird the way that one plays out with the whole color scheme thing, but... Well, I mean, you were just going with, you know, green, spiritual, courage, Link is courageous, the Deku Tree, uh, you know, green is thought of as sage, wisdom. Yeah, I mean... And then there's red, power. He, um, I mean, you could call the Deku Tree courageous if, like, he didn't fear death, right? Like, that wasn't, he, at no point did he make decisions based on that. Um, like he knew he was going to die, but he's like, you know what? Like, that's actually not really what's important right now. What's important is that Link is prepared to do what he needs to. Um, uh, but I mean, I don't know why he didn't fear death. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what his actual reasoning for that was. He's old, man. He's lived a long time. He's been around I guess for as long so. as he is. I'm sure you're probably like, eh, whatever. Yeah, maybe he knew that, that he would have a legacy, you know, and that was more like what helped him with that. Um, because you know, like it's not it. The, the forest doesn't end with him, and I think that that's that rings true later on. And I'm sure that's something that he knew was going to happen. Um, and that's probably part of why he he was like he didn't fear it in the moment. Um, Whatevs. But yeah, there's. I I feel like with coke with the Kokiri forest, um, in terms of our color schemes, like the thing you got to understand with them is that. Um, they have characters that exemplify each of the uh, power, wisdom, and courage. They don't have an entire race that attributes to any of them. Um, the Kokiri as a whole are not powerful. They're not courageous. They're not uh, wise. Nah. They're, they're just children. Um, 
and they're they're all learning still, right? Like they're they haven't really become any of those things. But you have Link and Saria who are both courageous, and I think that's exemplified by, I mean, Link is I mean obviously that's just his character in the game. Um, Saria frequents the Lost Woods, goes through them on the regular, um, has the green kind of signifying outside of her house, like hey, this person is so courageous that weeds are literally springing up around their house. Um, Mito is the character of power and he has a circle of rocks in front of his house um to kind of show that and that's that's like his whole deal like he's not like he's all he just thinks he's the boss of the forest and kind of like flexes his power on the other kokiri so like it makes sense um wisdom's a little bit trickier i think it's the i think it's supposed to be the twins um because the river goes right by their house it goes between their house and the shop um, and they teach you about rupees and the cost of like the value of the different colors. Um, and in the shop, you can buy the shield, which is a wise thing. And one of the twins is actually at the shop and I think makes a recommendation or something like that. Um, so I think the twins are supposed to be the character of wisdom because it, it, I don't think it's the shop owner because the shop owner has a, has a counter that's too tall for him. Um, he's kind of like jumping up and down trying to sell you sell you trees right <laughs> so so i i don't think he's necessarily like supposed to be the wise character but the point of wisdom is still there um like being wise with your finances <laughs> being wise by buying the thing that's going to protect you um so yeah everything's represented there but it's not kokiri forest itself is not the land of courage it's like everything there is kind of um because it's an introduction to the game i think they wanted to include a character of each thing you know at some point I've, I've been wanting to circle back to that, but sure. um, this, this seemed like the best time. Cause it's actually like the closest we get to coming back um, by going to the lost woods and actually seeing what Saria does with her spare time. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I never really thought about it, but that makes a lot of sense. Like the whole Mito representing power because the rocks around his house and him being one of the more straightforward and powerful, like characteristic wise and like his, his character himself, and Saria with the uh, the green around her house and the courageousness to go into the woods that everybody is deathly afraid of, and the even the water around the house of like uh, the the tutorial area where you learn a lot of stuff and and like the shop like you talked about I didn't really think about it but I I agree that makes sense yeah and I just I I think that it's subtext like it's it's definitely like at no point does the game try to like tell you that again like it's like you, you just have to look at the map and be like, okay, where are the symbols that you find? Like, cause you know, when you go through the, the goddess story of like the creation, they, they literally show these things. Um, and then if you look around the town, you can see, okay, where is there the highest concentration of rocks? Oh, well it's by this bossy kid, <laughs> you know, like where's the <laughs> highest concentration of weeds? Okay. It's this girl. Um, who thinks that the bossy kid is a bum and like goes out into the forest, you know? Um, what a bum. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah. So she's, she's not afraid of Mito, you know? And then, and then the river goes around the shop and the, the house of twins. So it's, it's, um, I mean, it all kind of just is like little pointers about, about what it is like about the character traits of the different people, I guess. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Like it sets up the, you know, the beginnings of the story, like what you're, what, what themes you're going to be seeing throughout the story. And I actually wanted to touch on, um, because you had mentioned the stones in, in that. And 
if we if you guys got a good look at the spiritual stone the green one for courage it sort of looks like a a flower bud like it looks like the the top of the flower bud and then there's sort of like a curved stem coming down there's like it's like kind of viney mm -hmm. we actually see the new gem we just got the goron's ruby the ruby itself actually looks like a flower that's in bloom it, it kind of like a tulip and so we have this theme and i'm not gonna say what the next one we get looks like but this just confirms my suspicions that these stones we're gathering are is like a flower slowly starting to bloom i've never realized that but that's kind of cool next time you guys look at these stones like look at a picture of all of them together and you'll sort of see what I'm trying to get at. Because the red one we just got sort of looks like a dissected flower in half that's like blooming. Yeah. <laughs> I Like I said, I, n I never noticed that, but that's actually a really cool detail. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, it absolutely does look like that. I didn't realize that's what they were doing, yeah. though. I, I don't know if it's... It, it could not be what they were doing, but I saw it and I was like, this this got to be it. This This got to be it. Um, one of the things that I've I, like, I started listening to some other like groups and, and people online, what they've kind of said about this game. Um, and one of the things I wasn't expecting to hear is that Miyamoto, um, he's not really a storyteller. Like he loves gameplay. Like he's all about making a game, a fun game to play. Um, hmm. but not so much about the story. Like there was another guy on these and I wish I could remember his name right now who, who was all about story. Like he was kind of like the, um, uh, like went to school for like uh, uh, for like cinematography and like basically visual storytelling, right? Like he he's he was all about it, um, and so a lot of the story in these games um, isn't driven by the main director. Is actually like kind of hindered in some cases. So a lot of it is is like this. A lot of it is things you have to kind of see visually. A lot of it is um, things you have to read into to get the full story because. Um, it's just not something that was of universal interest when they made this game. Like the way it was written, basically. Yeah, like it wasn't, like some some of the people on the production team were very much into story and some were very much not. So what you get is a lot of like implied story or things you've, you really need to like observe and catch on to to understand or to mm. to gather what's going on like there's a lot more symbolism in this game than than is stated by the characters it's crazy um, that uh you mentioned that because i remember listening to an interview by shigeru miyamoto himself and he actually got the idea of zelda and i'm not this isn't like ocarina of time this is just original zelda uh, obviously he was able to go more in depth with his, you know, his thoughts with Ocarina of Time as being the first 3D game, but he got the idea from Zelda itself as a child, uh, where he lived in Japan, I guess was very country, very open, he was far from a city, and he was able to explore caves, I guess there was a few caves over there in the rice paddy fields by his house, there was waterfalls, there was hills and, and like, you know, big hills over there with the rice paddy fields, and so there was just a lot of different environments that he was able to take in as a child and explore. And he said that when he was making Zelda, he actually, that's like where the environments came from was his own childhood. So it's not really a necessarily a story point, but it's more visually why Zelda is so, you know, when you see a Zelda game, you know instantly that that environment is Zelda because 
it's so visually storytelling. Nice. So that's coming from him, him himself. Like he made these games based on his childhood and what he used to explore. And you see that. Yeah. I've also heard that parallel to, we haven't gotten to Zora's domain yet, but there's a waterfall there. We see Lake Hylia. Uh, we see death mountain, uh, the forest. So yeah, it's just a bunch of things that he basically did as a child that he put into the game. Nice. Art imitates life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, we covered the Death Mountain. We covered the cavern, the forest, the story points. Um, you guys can go and back. A little bit of the background of Ganondorf. Oh, yeah. We did get into that. And uh, we got the masks done. You guys can do that. And actually, now there was one point I wanted to bring up. Now that we got the bomb bag, we did mention the Bombachu game. You can go back and do that. Uh, I hate it personally. I know Fonz probably hates it. I don't know how you <laughs> feel, Cam, but it is an option you can go do. Um, I'm getting used to it the more. I mean, like, I after the last time I played it, it, it seemed okay. <laughs> it was not okay the first <laughs> time I played it recently, but after getting some practice, it's okay now. I'm definitely not really a fan of Bombachus, but once I play the game once or twice, I'll probably get back in the hang of it and be like, yeah, these things are all right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that covers it for today then. Um, I think next time we get together, we're going to be covering, uh, Zora's domain and, uh, inside, what is it called? Like it's Lord Jabu Jabu, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it just Jabu Jabu? Anyway, it's, I think he's Lord inside that guy, Jabu Jabu's belly. Um, that's our next kind of dungeon. Um, so if you have any comments, thoughts, uh, personal stories about, about that domain or that dungeon um definitely write in let us know uh you can again contact us at uh a for no b for yes that's uh a the the number four no b the number four yes um on any of our social medias or a for no b for yes at gmail.com uh links will be in the description um so yeah go ahead and and reach out yeah, and thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you guys, and we would love to hear everything that you guys have to say. So I think that pretty much covers it. Cam? Did you get all that?